Hi, we're Cardigan Academy, your helpers for all things mental health, parenting, and education. I'm Devani. And I'm Stacy. And today we're continuing our series on brain chemicals and talking about serotonin. Brain chemicals are neurotransmitters. I think the one I heard about first or most often is serotonin. In life? Yeah. How young? Like how soon did you learn about this? Not until I was an adult. Okay. How about you? Yeah, I feel like also probably adulthood. I'm thinking back. I mean, if it came up in a biology class, I I don't remember. Right. <laughs> to review, we've done dopamine which was the reward brain chemical and oxytocin, which was the love one. And so I certainly heard about oxytocin during childbirth classes and pregnancy, mm -hmm. but serotonin is the one responsible for happiness, mood, well-being. Um, have you ever seen those molecule necklaces? Yes. <laughs> I, I have the um, caffeine one, but I'd really like the serotonin one too. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the... Uh... Or do you have, I'm trying to remember if I heard about this from you. Do you have the um, solar system one? Is that you? No. Okay. It was, I think it was Ange, uh, our friend's cousin. She's very into science and all that. And I'm pretty sure her husband got her a, it's like a really cool necklace and it's got the whole, oh. all the planets are like gems. It's a solar system. <gasps> I love that. So, right? <laughs> we made a bracelet to help our kids remember the order of the planets just with a pipe cleaner and pony beads it's on mm -hmm. it's over on still playing school and i think these we're, we cannot be the only ones geeking out on this because these are which one of those was is our most highly listened to podcast oxytocin yeah <laughs> so we are not the only ones geeking yeah. out about brain chemicals <laughs> yeah i think when the concept of the series came up we were discussing just that knowledge is power and so whatever mm -hmm. we can know about what's going on ourselves or with our kids and you know if you are seeking mental health services or sometimes medications i think it's helpful to know what all of these neurotransmitters mm -hmm. do and what they're responsible for yeah i was thinking about how easily and often they just say oh you know ssris mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's an acronym but they're also using the inherent in that acronym is the word serotonin so it, it mm -hmm. is something we all have in our language but may not really always know the ins and outs about how it works or you know what it does but everybody knows an ssri right you know is an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication um but the word serotonin is in there so yeah it's selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor mm -hmm. and then there's also snris yes and i i was in a group that was geeking out about this and someone posted a, a YouTube video that was the science guys that run it and it's uh, animated and it explained exactly how, like, what does that mean? What is it? Why is it inhibiting the uptake 
because it sounds like a bad thing, but I, right. I wanted to understand how does this work? Why is this a good thing? And what does it do? And I'm very, I'm very visual that way. We'll have to link to that. Yeah, it was, it was just good to see like, oh, this is how it works. So if my understanding's correct, and we are doing everything in the most general layman's <laughs> terms here. We are not scientists. We just really like science. Yeah, <laughs> it blocks the absorption of the serotonin to make more available within mm -hmm. the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And we need this. Like you said, it regulates our mood and having too little serotonin can lead to depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, OCD, any number of things. Having more of that helps us. I read that they're doing research still. If lower levels of serotonin cause depression or if depression causes an imbalance yeah. of certain brain chemicals such as serotonin and, and that seem to be very much chicken and the egg. Yeah, yeah, it, it blows my mind, honestly. I just think, you know, whenever I think about mental health and all these things, it's 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 amazing to me how much we know and how much we still don't know. Mm -hmm. When the majority of the people I know, even statistically, I don't think the statistics accurately represent how many people have mental health struggles. Um, I think those it's, it's an underrepresented number. More people are struggling with it than the numbers show. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's medicated. Not everyone seeks a therapist. Not everyone reports it. I mean, look around. Any of the friends you have or family when, I mean, it's hard. I rarely have a conversation with a group of people where nearly all of us aren't saying, oh yeah, I've struggled with this or that or depression or anxiety. So this is such a, it's such a part of life. So many people have these mental health struggles and yet there's still so much we are learning about it. Yeah, you talked about the brain scans in our mental health stigma mm -hmm. episode, I think. That's just so interesting to me. Like the thought that you can go in and just have everything looked yeah. at to truly know because I think a lot of people do struggle with am I just in a funk how long yeah. do I wait will this subside you know is this a midlife crisis for women it's like is it hormonal mm -hmm. some people don't seek services because of how it might affect their career or stigma or family pressure or religious pressure or maybe misconceptions about mm -hmm. medications or therapy I mean there's so many reasons it's you know it's, it's just, we all say this all the time. Why do people always compare taking an antidepressant to insulin, right? They always say, well, if your pancreas doesn't, you know, if, you, if it needs help with insulin, then you take insulin and no one thinks twice about it. And this is the analogy we use to get people to not be afraid mm -hmm. of antidepressants and things. And, and yet there's like this stigma. And I think, I wonder how much of it does go back to the, it's really subjective be mm -hmm. because you can check your blood sugar and right. You can see what's you can see exactly what's going on with the insulin and blood sugar issues in your body. It's it's quantifiable, but like these mood things are very subjective. Like you mm -hmm. said, am, am I in a funk? Is this depression? Is this genetic? How long is this lasting? How many people struggle for a while and don't even realize that's what's going on? They think, oh, I'm just tired. I've just been doing a lot. Like it's yeah. just it's hard to figure it out sometimes, and that doesn't even touch on. <laughs> the overlap between is it anxiety or is it ADHD or is it a little bit of both and is there OCD involved and is there what about spectrum issues and there's so you know we love Venn diagrams mm -hmm. here at Cardigan Academy and uh I just sometimes you talk about some of these things long enough and these Venn diagrams are just like one big old circle <laughs> yeah 
And we talk a lot in our Therapy 101 club about these brain chemicals and how to naturally increase them, but that's not to discourage people from seeking mm -hmm. mental health services and medication because it's kind of like everything will help a little bit yeah. and you still yeah. might need medication. Yeah. Everybody, well, we think everyone should have a therapist, but... Absolutely. It's hard when you're in that state of trying to figure it out. Is it or isn't it? Should I seek a therapist? You know, we have our episode on finding the right therapist because that can be totally overwhelming when you're in the midst of a struggle. And then with all of that, sometimes you do forget to get outside and go for a walk. And I also hate those memes that say, you know, the picture of nature and says, this is an antidepressant. Yes. It's like so dismissive for people who are truly struggling with anxiety mm -hmm. or depression or any other mental health issues, because it's like putting a Band-Aid on an open wound. Like, I think it can make people feel worse too. Yeah. Like if you, if you oversimplify something like that, like just get outside and it's an antidepressant and somebody struggling with depression is like, well, I can't even do this right because I go outside and it's not enough. I should, should just be able to snap out of it and yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and sunshine can be wonderful and you can be depressed and sit in sunshine and still feel depressed. Like that's depression is real and these struggles are real. And I, I, I also cringe when I see people, when I hear people say, or when I see people comment online to someone who's struggling and say something like just whatever, just mm -hmm. exercise or just go outside or, you know, just pet a kitten like those are all great things and sure if you feel like up if you feel up to doing any of those do those as well but to act as though that's the end all be all and it and if it's not for that person they're just going to feel worse so having that caveat of and it's okay if you need a little a little more help and mm -hmm. I, most of the people i know myself included who have needed medication have put it off for a long time for mm -hmm. whatever worry or fear is holding them back and unless they've had some kind of bad experience with it or whatever the majority of people once they get on it it the thought is why did i wait mm -hmm. all those years i could have and i and i know i meet a lot of people who say i'm i'm not averse like I'll, i'm open to it but i want to try these other things first which mm -hmm. i did with my doctor i said i'd like to try a few other things first and she said okay and i did and it wasn't enough serotonin is present in your brain obviously it's a brain chemical but it's also present in your digestive tract 90 percent is in your digestive tract and so while we can measure it in the blood there's no way of measuring it in the brain and from what i was reading it's almost like two different areas there is 90% in your digestive system. And while that's great, that has nothing to do necessarily with what's going on brain chemical wise. Yeah, it's another one of those areas they just don't know that much about because I was curious about this and looking a little bit into it, it sounds like there's some research to support that there's a link, but th there's really not enough to say conclusively, but there's enough of a possibility that more research is being done. So that's exciting, you know, mm -hmm. and that's something to keep an eye on. Um, but if somebody comes to you and claims that they know XYZ, blah, 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 right. you know, unless it's backed up by data and science, we just don't know yet. But it, there's definitely a question mark. Right. Like, do probiotics help? Well, mm -hmm. I wouldn't take that to be the be all end all, right? But yeah, yeah. there are some some studies point to be vitamin B6 mm -hmm. helping. But again, I don't feel like any of this is the golden ticket. Right. Because if it were, right, we'd all be doing it. We'd all be fine. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
And when you were talking earlier about, you know, getting to the point that you finally do want to try medication, I just wanted to share a little bit about my experience where I have gone on SSRIs after the delivery of each of my babies because there is a hormone link interaction somehow with different brain chemicals. Again, more research needs to be done. Please, someone, research. <laughs> The hormone component here, because I think about that so often, but basically um, just after I would have a baby as my hormones were going through changes, just like you can get postpartum depression, mine tended to lean more towards anxiety. Mm. And I was okay to just go on an SSRI for about four months after each of my babies. And then mm -hmm. I kind of, with the help of my doctor, would decide, okay, I feel like things are maybe regulating a little bit. Let's try to, to wean off of it. Um, I've also had very difficult emotions around my cycle at times in my life. And this is another very interesting approach, but my OBGYN was open to me taking an SSRI just around two weeks that I needed it and my cycle that is available too and wait are you saying like you just take it the, just the two weeks but not yeah. not every day otherwise oh wow okay yeah I know because you know when you're taking it for just anxiety or depression in general it has to build up in your system and I even would say and I've talked to a couple doctors about it okay so I'm but for the other two weeks I'm not doing anything and yeah said, no it just helps with whatever that imbalances that the hormones throw it into oh i've never heard that because yeah. the people talk about how you icky you can feel if you don't take it every day and so that's that's wild yeah i'll have to find some research on that or mm -hmm. links about it i'm really glad you brought up postpartum anxiety because i also got that and didn't have a name for it because everybody talks about postpartum depression mm -hmm. and so when you're going through what i now know to be postpartum anxiety, knowing it's a thing, there's some, again, knowledge is power and there's some comfort in that because otherwise, because we talk so much about postpartum depression, when you're not necessarily depressed, but you're really scared and you're really anxious and worried all the time and having mm -hmm. nightmares and you know, intrusive thoughts, you just feel like some, something's wrong. And it feels like you're not even doing the postpartum thing right, because if you're going to struggle postpartum, it should, it's supposed to be depression, right? right. Not anxiety. And I'm, I'm really glad to see more stuff come out about this, because one of the things for me, anybody who knows me knows I am a bit, and some people would probably say more than a bit, germaphobic. Mm. And they're equally shocked to know that I didn't used to be. I wasn't. I mean, I, I lived in a third world West African country and I don't remember beyond, you know, basic wash your hands and drink bottled water because there was you, there was cholera there and things like that. I don't I don't remember being particularly worried. But mm -hmm. when I became a mom, it's like a, a switch flipped. Yeah. And it was, you know, people wanted to hold my baby. I'm like, you have to wash your hands first. It was this intense protection of my babies. And mm -hmm. you you need to be healthy and you need to wash your hands. And you I became really germaphobic and that was new. And it wasn't until like years later, I read this article about how this can happen to women in childbirth. Like they suddenly like they take on this phobia, this germ phobia and this anxiety and intense protection of their child. Like even my kids are surprised. Like I did not used to be like this, but when I became a mom, I became very germaphobic. And it would make sense that there is an evolutionary 
component there, right? Like maybe there is something that happens and under ideal conditions, you would just be a little bit more conscientious. And when you lean mm -hmm. a little bit more like you and I do, <laughs> uh, it throws you into a haywire of, like you said, intrusive thoughts and no knowing logically that your baby isn't necessarily in danger in those situations, but you can't get your heart to listen to your brain or vice versa. <laughs> yeah, I remember feeling like hyper vigilant. It was like an added, you're physically exhausted. And that definitely contributes to anxiety for me as well, which, you know, for Same. the first two years of my baby's life, I don't think I got back to a regular sleep schedule. So yeah. And when you do, when you start getting, I, I remember, you know, I, I breastfed my babies and then once they weaned or whether it was that or just that they were sleeping through the night, the difference in mm. my mood. And I've noticed for myself, it is it's not even about how much sleep, although I tend to need probably on the more side, you know, mm -hmm. some people say they need less or, but the, the issue was mostly, was it interrupted or not? I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> and I mean, there's a reason that that is a torture. Yeah. Device, not device. That's a torture technique. Right. Sleep deprivation. Yeah. And it's yeah. You know, all that advice. Just sleep when the baby sleeps. Okay. Yeah. And I even think the conversations about postpartum depression have increased in the last mm -hmm. 10, certainly 20 years. Yeah. Which is good. And like we keep saying, more research, please. Science is our yeah. friend. Yeah. And it also speaks to what we are always talking about here at Cardigan Academy also is the importance of community and having a village and you know I mean having a baby the older I get I look back at those early years with babies and think no wonder everybody's tired and exhausted and now you know we just said there's sleep deprivation and now that's affecting your physical exhaustion and your mood and now it's also compounded by for you and I it sounds like mm -hmm it's compounded by postpartum anxiety and what comes with anxiety hypervigilance right mm -hmm. the hypervigilance of keeping our babies safe and so there's this added mental exertion and 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 energy spending that's going on and so you've got this mental exhaustion coupled with physical exhaustion that's a lot of exhaustion yeah <laughs> it's it's a lot and i just look back and think we are not doing enough for young parents in mm -hmm. this country at all because that is an incredibly uh exhausting time and even uh, even i see it in pop culture when i watch tv shows it's just sort of accepted you know you're just going to be tired for a few years and you're going to be exhausted and it's pretty much all on you and there's not there's no there's not a lot in place to to help and it, it just honestly it's just mind-blowing that we aren't doing more because it affects the mom it affects the baby it affects the whole family mm -hmm. Um, but this, this is, this is real stuff. It's exhausting. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And we talk about all those things too. It's definitely those things. I just, yeah. And anybody who's gone through it or is going through it, it's, it is uh, a physical and emotional. And that actually also has to do with serotonin because um, serotonin affects our sleep and wake cycles. Mm -hmm. How, when, how much we sleep and too little serotonin can lead to insomnia and then you know the interrupted sleep messing with our sleep cycles it's, it's all related and all affecting us i read something interesting too that said that serotonin is responsible for happiness and dopamine which we already did our episode on is responsible for pleasure and it was differentiating those two as you can get 
addicted to the reward cycle with dopamine. So whether it's taking a drug or gambling or shopping or whatever is the thing that is flooding your brain with dopamine, those are the things that can lead to addictive tendencies. Whereas it said no one's no one's addicted to happiness. I thought that's that's really interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction. To consider dopamine, the brain chemical related to addiction. Interesting. Because so mm -hmm. so pleasure, something that's giving you that dopamine hit leading to addiction, where serotonin is giving you just that little boost. It's like um, even people with, say, ADHD um, who take medications talk about, you know, that's the joke, right? People think if you have ADHD and you take a stimulant, that suddenly you're going to be able to you know, I don't know, clean out your house from top to bottom and wash your cars and do all these things. But what it usually does is gives just enough of a little boost that now you can function throughout your day in a more focused way and handle things without your mind going a million different directions at the same time, without intense distractions, without restlessness. So it's not, you know, just like we say antidepressants are not it's not a magic happy pill that you just take and now everything's rainbows and unicorns, mm -hmm. but it's sometimes just that little boost helps us function. I get weird about the word normal because what's well, or the word weird, what's normal, what's weird. <laughs> I know. I feel like it's more like when you are taking a medication and it's the right fit. My experience has been, I feel like me again. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what is normal for me. Yeah. Or I've, I've heard people have the experience that when they finally find the right med combination or medicine, they say uh, 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 something I hear people exclaim a lot is, oh my gosh, is this how normal people feel? And I think what they're saying is they're just, it's just, you're functioning throughout the day at a great baseline. Mm -hmm. It's not that you, you're, you're not now like this superhero able to leap tall buildings and do these fantastical things. It's that you're baseline is now you're getting through the day with less struggle. Yeah, I also wanted to put in a recommendation to not hesitate to see a psychiatrist to put all the mm -hmm. pieces together if you are seeking medication or maybe you're on it and you're feeling like oh, just with my family doctor, I often felt like we were both kind of guessing and mm -hmm. shrugging a lot. And it really made a difference for me to see a psychiatrist. And I don't see her very often now. I see her just once a year just to check in and make sure everything medication wise is still where it needs to be. And it has made the world of difference. That completely makes sense because, you know, a cardiologist focuses on the heart and a pulmonologist focuses on the lungs. And that's a psychiatrist's specialty is that that's what they're studying is the brain and, and all these different mood disorders and def different things going on early on in my training. That's something I was taught by someone I respect a lot. She said what the way she would approach it is if someone is struggling with depression, anxiety, or any of these things that they think might be going on, she recommends go to a family doctor to get a physical, rule out that it's not something that's not your thyroid, mm -hmm. it's not whatever, like go get a physical to absolutely make sure that physically everything else is going, everything else is good. And once you've ruled out that it's not anything else and now you say okay yes this is something going on in the brain this is something i need some help here chemically or whatever then you go her advice is at that point go to a psychiatrist and say here's what's going on and your psychiatrist is going to be able to help you in that area much more because that's their specialty so that totally makes sense yeah just it just felt like the missing puzzle piece what made you 
switch and just like did somebody did a therapist tell you or did you just decide I had a or... friend recommend it um she knew I was seeing my family doctor and we were trying a couple different medications and she knew I was seeing my therapist regularly and she said the psychiatrist is going to bridge those yeah. two she was right it was good advice yeah. that is good advice <laughs> so if you do go to your family doctor they also should do a screen mm -hmm. I don't think this is women specific, but when I go for my yearly physical, they do ask a lot of things about, you know, how often do you feel hopeless or like you can't get out of bed. So they're very clearly screening for anxiety and depression with that checklist. Mm -hmm. And because they don't know research wise yet, like I said, is depression and anxiety caused from low production of serotonin or is it lack of receptors in the brain or is it the inability for the serotonin to bind to the receptors for those people for some reason or is it a shortage of tryptophan which is the mm -hmm. amino acid that serotonin is derived from and you can get that by eating protein and that's where the b6 comes in again you're not going to solve depression by eating a lot of eggs for breakfast <laughs> <laughs> but all of these things that can help and also you're under the care of a therapist a family doctor and a psychiatrist if you, if you need one the analogy that just popped into my head as you talked about that is like if we all know how it is to have a really good mattress to get a good night's sleep like mm. man what makes all the difference so it's like the medication you get from your psychiatrist is the amazing mattress and then all these other little things you do to enhance your sleep like a lot of people like to have a fan going or a window Blackout open lines, or white noise machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or certain smells or I like to have a pillow between my knees. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a side sleeper or like the right pillow or just the right, maybe you want a weighted blanket. Maybe you just want a sheet or what you wear, whether you wear nothing to bed or certain pajamas, mm -hmm. all those little things are those other things we talk about that can enhance. So you've got the good mattress. <laughs> yeah. you've, you've got the medication from your psychiatrist. So you're, you're in this, you're getting this really great baseline help. It's like a foundation. All, yeah. And then all these other things enhance it and make it that much better because the mattress alone is going to make a huge difference. But boy, having like a down comforter and a good pillow and a fan going in a white noise machine. Wow, that night's sleep is going to be even better. So yeah, it's like the the things that enhance it. And along those lines, it's thought that you can increase serotonin levels through for diet, like you said, tryptophan, vitamin B6, vitamin D, and omega-3 fatty acids. So all those things, and even with medication, those things are all just going to help the medications work better too. Yeah. I've also got some foods here that can help. They include and I, and these are good things to know. Here's, here's what I use. This knowledge helps me when I'm grabbing a snack mm -hmm. and instead of just grabbing some quick thing, I might even stop and go, you know what? I learned that bananas can be really good to help with this. So what the heck for my snack, I'll grab a banana. It's just a little thing, but mm -hmm. it's, it's in the right direction. So some foods that help include bananas, beans, that can be chickpeas, lentils, kidney, black, any any of those, eggs, leafy greens. So our family, we do a lot of green smoothies for lunch. Mm -hmm. We honestly just make it up all the time. I don't even follow a recipe. We throw uh, vanilla yogurt and frozen fruit and tons of spinach and sometimes carrots. Like, I don't know, we just throw a bunch of stuff in a blender and add some liquid and eat a green shake. <laughs> well, drink a green shake, but... <laughs> Ours are a little chewy. I like them that way. <laughs> Nuts and seeds, oily fish, 
probiotic fermented food. So there's that yogurt or kefir or tofu mm -hmm. uh, and turkey, probably I'm guessing for the tryptophan. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a big seafood person. So I do make sure I take an omega. I do take mm -hmm. an additional B vitamin. It has all of them in together. Mm -hmm. And a multivitamin. There's been times where I've taken magnesium when I was going mm -hmm. through a stage where I was getting really bad headaches and we weren't sure if they were migraines or just tension headaches. And speaking of that, there are some migraine medications that are tryptins. And so there's a thing called serotonin syndrome where you have your serotonin levels are actually too high. And this can be from taking medications like an SSRI maybe something for a migraine simultaneously. It's very rare, but it can be life-threatening. And, you know, we talk in our parenting loops about giving our kids all this knowledge as it's related to recreational drugs. And related to that is ecstasy. So if you are on SSRIs and you take ecstasy, it seems like, oh, I'm going to take something that's going to make me really happy. That sounds great. But it could actually be life-threatening because of the serotonin syndrome. And so what we advocate for in our parenting loop is to get, arm our kids with all these knowledge, have these continual conversations with them so they're not just at a party in college making choices that they, you know, aren't really sure. We're just going to try it and see how it goes. I think kids also, I, I find that they respond to a respectful conversation about science and data than scare tactics. So instead of, oh, don't go to college and party and drink because, ah. Uh... <laughs> Your brain on drugs is the egg in the frying pan, right? Like, okay, yeah. can we talk about this a little more? Like more science behind it. Yeah, and just, just telling somebody don't without explaining the why. Again, just like I just said, if I want a snack and I'm gonna go just grab something and then stop and think, oh wait, you know what? I've learned that a banana is a good snack and I grab a banana. Just that little bit of knowledge. Again, it's not this be all end all, but the same thing with our kids. When we tell them these things, it's not just don't do drugs, kids. It's exactly what you just said about here's the risk and here's what to think about. And now that now let's say you are on this medication, just like we do with when whenever anyone fills any medication prescription, whether it's an antidepressant, anti-anxiety or any medicine, an allergy yeah. medicine, anything we always hear you know, don't eat for an hour before or do eat before taking this or don't drive. But when there's there are all these things to know and don't take this with something else. And right, it could interact with something. Yeah, there's all these checks in your doctor, the, their office, the pharmacist. By the time you get the medication, it should be going through multiple checks to make sure that you are not taking something that's going to interact with something else and cause a problem. So really, it's not just medicines that do that. It's other things in life and it's 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 respectful to our kids to to tell them that yeah i think saint john's work was even on mm -hmm. the list of things that can contribute and you might be listening to this thinking not my kid and you know what that's okay because maybe it's their roommate or their best friend mm -hmm. or their partner eventually that might be trying to make this choice and your kid is the one armed with the knowledge then as a young adult to say i don't know if this is the right choice that's a good point and also I just, there's really no harm in having the knowledge, even if you're probably not going to do the thing. And it's never hurts to know and understand more about, you know, the world around us. Yeah. Even when you're talking about the protein thing, I was thinking I should have that conversation with my kids because we often talk about the importance of having protein, but I don't know that I've gone into the why. Like maybe we're going to mm -hmm. have a little nutrition unit. Yeah for our homeschool <laughs> this fall. That's a good idea. Yeah, and the, the whys, of, the W-H-Y, the, the whys of it all. 
um, and, and how these things work and help us. And, and there's the nutrition and then there's how our behavior and activities and things also play into this. So another few things that can help, you know, with um, increasing serotonin include meditation, exercise, and bright light. <laughs> I, I have a very strong reaction to gray sunless days mm. versus a sunny day. And if we have too many gray days in a row, it is profound how I feel physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and I've had the experience before of, you know, five, six gray days in a row. It's weighing me down. I feel like I can't really open my eyes. I mean, it, it's a very strong response that I get to this. I, I, my energy is depleted. I feel kind of down and I just feel tired and like I can't open my eyes. And I remember I, I've had times where, you know, that fifth, sixth, seventh day after all these rainy days, suddenly the sun breaks through the clouds, comes streaming through the windows. I cannot begin to explain how instantaneous, like when that sun comes in, suddenly I can open my eyes, my mood lifts. Oh, you're like a flower. <laughs> Yes, I perk up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I perk up. And sometimes, I mean, my, my family, my family will see the shift in me. Even when we're outside, I'll just be like, ah, it's sunny and the sky is blue. And it's just, I feed off of that sunshine, that vitamin D. You and I did not discuss this before, but all those vitamins that you listed that you take, I'm sitting here like, of course we take the same ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Because I do, I take omega-3 and it let's say i get a bunch of sushi that has you know salmon and tuna i if i'm having that for a day or two i might skip the omega-3 i religiously take my b100s mm -hmm. um, because i do notice a difference when i do and don't take it i take vitamin d i take now one time i was really tired all the time and it's again is it stress is it this is it that went to my doctor checked my levels and my iron was the low side of normal it wasn't technically low mm -hmm. but for the standards in our country it was the low end of normal but my doctor did say you know yeah you're technically in the normal range but since it is low it doesn't hurt if you want to try to take a daily iron supplement yeah and so i did and i do i take that every day so all the same ones you mentioned i'm sitting here <laughs> like yeah those are mine too and we even use the um i real i'm not ageist Devonie and i most of our friends are older than us <laughs> but like those old people pill boxes yeah i have one too <laughs> is that what you do too yeah <laughs> i refill them and they, we have them set up for like i think it's like several times a day but for us it's just our daily mm-hmm but that's how we, we fill the box and then we take our, all of us do it. We take our vitamins and medicine, you know, whatever every day. And then it's a good way also to keep track if you do yeah. forget and say, did I take it? And I think I've said this before in a podcast and if I have or haven't, it bears repeating. Um, I, I don't love exercise, like, I, but I can't deny that I feel better when I do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I, I think I have mentioned before that I have this slight resentment that when we talk about exercise in our culture it's always about weight loss or physical health and that's fine that's that's important too if that's what someone needs for their health but it's also important for mental health and we mm -hmm. don't talk about that enough other than to say oh are you depressed just exercise as if again that's just gonna right. fix it but the, I've had times where I'm overwhelmed by emotions, I'm triggered, maybe I'm angry. Even my distraction level 
is greatly improved on the days that I exercise. So sometimes I just, for me, I, I might just stand up and walk in place for half an hour while I watch a television show, uh, maybe do some arm weights, but something. And again, the difference I notice on those days, it's like good sleep, exercise. These things really do make a difference. Yeah. I always try to make sure if I, if we are having one of those sunny days, that those are the days I get out and walk outside. Uh, my daughter has been walking with me lately, which is just kind of what I needed. I needed that social component of it. We have really good conversations. We switch up our route and that has made, that has made a difference too. So thinking about you and we'll always help you do this when you come to our therapy 101 club, thinking about you and what's going to work best for who you are as an individual. And also there are a lot of things that show up when we give you the brain chemical cheat sheet in our therapy 101 loop. a lot of things are on several lists, right? So the next brain chemical we'll do in this series is endorphins, and that's related to the exercise too. So several of mm -hmm. them are related to being outside. So if you can walk outside on a sunny day and eat a banana, <laughs> <laughs> you are doing the best you can. <laughs> Stephanie, do you have an extracurricular today? Yes, I am very excited that one of my favorite podcasts, Ologies, she has um, different experts in to talk about what they specialize in. So whatever their, whatever ology is, and sometimes they make it up because there isn't an actual ology word for that. They just started doing what they're calling smallogies, and it is a shorter version of their episodes and they make sure that they take the swearing out of it because the regular episodes they don't worry as much about that and so i'm just very excited to dig in to those episodes with my kids as we approach a new homeschooling year and last year i even hosted a podcast club for our homeschool group so i'm just excited about ologies and smologies i just want to clarify is it called a smology because they swear so much that when they edit it it's that short or is it edited for kids it is a smaller bite-sized pieces. They might do a long episode. I think they're also, it's a way for them to revisit some of the content they've already done and not uh -huh. have to continue to reproduce as often. And is it is it aimed at a younger audience necessarily? It is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And your podcast club is great. We participated in that and it exposed us to all kinds of podcasts we didn't know about. And it was just fun to get together and geek out about the things we learned i'll never look at a macaroon the same again for example <laughs> <laughs> so my extracurricular is as far as i know not something that exists but i do this all the time where i'm like you know what should be a thing <laughs> i'm always always coming up with inventions and my kids especially max looks at me and says that's that's not possible that's not a thing <laughs> and i'm like but it should be like <laughs> Like I, sometimes when I'm, you know, my laptop is losing its battery and I got to, oh, let me go grab the charger. I got to, you know, bring it. And I was like, there should be a, I don't know, like a way that laptops just charge. Like there should be something in the room that it just charges. And Max is like, like a charger. And I'm like, no, but like without the wires, you know, <laughs> he's like, that's not a thing. And I'm like, but like, he's like, you're going to have to plug something in. I'm like, right, but they should get rid of that. There should be something where you don't. <laughs> so welcome to my mind. So along those lines, I was thinking the other day 
about, I think you and I, Devani, were talking about how people have to do certain medical things at different ages, but how are, how are you supposed to know? Like, are you supposed to know? Oh yeah. I just went to right. the doctor today and she told me I now have to get a mammogram every year because I'm turning 40 this year. So happy birthday. <gasps> like <laughs> Welcome right. to 40. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing. It's like you read these articles like, oh, everyone should be testing their cholesterol and blah, blah, blah. And make sure you do your mammograms or make sure you get your prostate checked or whatever the things yeah. are. Every time I see these commercials or these ads, I think, how do you know you're supposed to do that? Like, do you see the ad and the article and then tell your doctor? Mm -hmm. Does the doctor tell you? Is there a schedule? Like, how does this work? Because, you know, we're both... Well, you're apparently you're turning 40 soon and yes, I'm in my forties and there's a lot of these questions. And so I'm coming up in a few years on 50 and that's the magical colonoscopy mm. age, which I've dreaded since I learned about it. Um, and there's been a lot, there must've been a colonoscopy or colon cancer awareness month. And then there was also all that stuff about, you know, um, What's the actor's name? Chad Chadwick Boseman from Black Panther, and there was just a lot of press, and you're hearing things about people in their 40s, and I, so it got me wondering. And I've seen people talk about what it's like to get a colonoscopy, and most people say the prep is the worst part. I've heard that that's gotten better though too. I've heard that too. It's not as long, it's not as drastic, and so I love to eat. So the thought of not only not mm -hmm. eating but flushing your system, and I've done something like this in my 20s. I did a uh, the upper GI and mm -hmm. the lower GI. So I had to do some of this before it was not pleasant. Um, but they say that the prep's the worst part and it's, you're right, it's gotten better. And the way they're describing it is you just go in and you take the best nap of your life and then you're done. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to like gear myself up for this, but me being me and you will so appreciate this since we're the same, like Enneagram and all that stuff. <laughs> My extracurricular is that I think there should be a program. And if there is, please, and someone's listening to this, please tell me. But I really think there should be a program called Colonoscopy Buddies, <laughs> where you and a friend just go get your colonoscopies on the same day. And so you're doing your prep together, you're griping to each other about how you're hungry and that this stinks and you're sick of your liquid diet and you're both you know, nervous, but you're together. There's this like, again, there's that community. You're both going through it. You're both going to go get your colonoscopy the same day. And something, I don't know, the thought of having a colonoscopy buddy yeah. to, to go through this with makes me already, even just thinking about it, makes me feel more inclined mm -hmm. to go get it done. And I was like, oh, this should be a thing. So I think we should have colonoscopy buddies. That's a good idea. And you could have it for any procedure that you're not particularly right? looking forward to. When you were talking about the best nap of your life, I was thinking you should reward yourself with a really fancy pair of pajamas. Ooh, for like afterwards. Yeah, or eat, can you wear it too? I don't know. I don't know. Because then you can know. wear it home at least. You could be comfy, maybe new slippers. That's a good idea. I always reward myself. I don't, just anytime I go have an internal exam or pap smear, I'm like, okay, afterwards I want whatever the thing is. So when you're on the table and you're getting, you know, you're just saying, well, I'm going to get ice cream or I'm going to get yeah. french fries or like whatever the thing is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. We can't do anything without thinking about the motivation behind it and the reward and how do we make this better with community. <laughs> that's it. I like, that's exactly it. I was like, Stephanie's going to love this. I do. I love it. It's a great <laughs> idea. 
If you're interested in learning more about parenting, education, and mental health from our therapist teacher team, check us out at cardiganacademy.com. And we are also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.